Hello, welcome to Careers Talk, Chock-A-Block with Job Top Tips. I'm Kerry Eustace. So last week we were talking about the gap between what graduates expect and what employers want. And we're going to be taking that a little bit further in this week's show. We still can't get our heads around the news that recruiters are failing to fill all their vacancies due to a lack of graduate talent. Mainly because we know there's plenty of graduate talent out there. And more importantly, we know you want these jobs. So we've invited Ruth Wilcock, who's a career consultant at the Centre for Careers and Skills Development at City University London, to talk to us about how you can skill up and what steps you could take to improve your employability in the short and long term. Plus, Julian has some stern words for anyone who's thinking of moving to London in pursuit of a writing job. And I'll be going to an international development careers event to ask the ambitious delegates what makes them think they can make it in such an oversubscribed sector. But first, we've got time for a bit of news jam, and this week's spread includes Hunter S. Thompson, a salary increases shocker, and what we think could be the most honest job ad ever. Harriet Minter and Ali White are here with me. Harriet, tell us what you found. Well, this week we're talking about why it is extra tough to be a graduate in the recession, and particularly because the University of Notre Dame in the States have released this study which says that if you... Uh, are trying to find a job during an economic downturn, the scars of how difficult that is will remain with you throughout your career life and can actually see in you resulting achieving less than if you'd been a graduate during um, a sort of boom period when it was really easy to get jobs. And basically what they're saying is the fact that it's so hard puts you behind anyway. So it might be that if you'd graduated six years ago, you could have walked straight into a job and now it might take you a year. It's going to take you longer to progress because there are going to be more people fighting for fewer jobs. And it's also going to have a slight psychological effect on you where you think perhaps you're not as good as other candidates out there. And we all know that actually it's the really confident driven people who believe in themselves who get to the top, as evidenced on The Apprentice. I don't know who's been watching that. It's just horrible. Um, But we know that that drive is really important. And the university is saying that it's actually not going to be there for graduate job seekers. So I kind of have tried to dig up some tips on what you can do to improve your chances and push yourself through. The first one is... It's not just about filling in CVs. I know we say this all the time. It's being a really aggressive networker and making sure that not only are you applying for all these jobs, but you're putting yourself in a space where people who work in them can see you. So whether that is through social media, which I know we've talked about a few weeks ago, running your own blog, making sure you're on Twitter, making sure that you're talking to the people who are in your sector, Or there was another really great one, which was finding professional networking events and going along to them. So I don't know if you know, but there's a social community online called meetup.com. And they hold lots and lots of events, really small groups of people in little sectors. So they hold just millions of journalism meetups for various, you could be a woman in journalism or a travel writer in journalism. And you don't have to be big and important to go. You can go along and you'll meet people who are just starting to really high up, depends on the group. And you can just go and have a chat with them. And the result of this is that actually when they hear of a job coming up, they might think about you and let you know about it. And the other thing they said, which I know we're going to be talking about later, is it's about having the right professional qualifications, not the right intellectual qualifications. So The Independent actually ran an article um, about a year ago now on a 26-year-old guy who had a first in English literature 
He had an MA in um, screen photography and another MA in creative writing. He applied for over 500 jobs in PR and advertising and didn't get one. Oh my gosh. Which is shocking when you think about it. When you think about how many qualifications he had and how many jobs he applied for. But then if I was hiring for, say, a copywriter job in advertising, would I want somebody who had an MA in creative writing or would I want somebody who'd done a six-month course in copywriting Mm. who's going to instantly know what the job is and how to do it? Exactly. So it's about finding, you know, I'm sure that he learned lots doing his MA in creative <laughs> writing. I don't want to knock it at all. But it's about making sure that you have exactly the right skills that employers need. Ah. Ali, what's your story? Well, I've got something which feels quite unusual to be saying, but it seems like pay rises have staged a minor comeback in the media sector of wow. all the sectors. <laughs> Shock all around. Yeah. <laughs> really? Apparently. <laughs> apparently bonuses and commission payments are returning as the recession eases. <laughs> but um, this is data from Expert HR, and they revealed that basic pay across the sector rose by an average of 2.6% in the 12 months to July 2010. Well, last year, basic pay rises had slumped to 1.7%. So there has been a rise in total earnings of 6.4%. But unfortunately, there's not such great news elsewhere. There's pay freezes still rife, according to data from the same company, with about four in 10 settlements not awarding employees any pay increase. So that's a bit of bad news. But if you fancy a pay rise and you want to know more about (laughs) 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 whether it is a good time to ask, we're running a QA and a next Thursday. Um, We're going to get some experts together to discuss whether it's the right time because you've just come out of a recession. But then again, people have been covering work for, you know, other employers who may have been made redundant or, you know, the downsizing. So, you know, if you think it's really your time, you may come and join our experts and ask some questions because it seems like a lot of people, according to research from PricewaterhouseCoopers, are even thinking about leaving to go and get more money because they're just maybe not thinking that pay rise is on the cards at all for them and that's a quarter of the people that they surveyed so it's an interesting topic I think Mm. it's very topical at the moment and presumably in your Q&A the experts will say how to go about a pay rise because Julian talks about this Mm -hmm. quite a lot that people will just go and ask for one but you really need some ammunition and some you know how you prove that you deserve your pay rise Uh, sure yeah definitely and from the research I've done into this so far it does look like there's some things that you need to make sure you're doing and not just going in and begging saying oh I've got car payments and this that and the other because your boss is just gonna say no (laughs) all right so my story is about the most honest job advert ever Um, and when you think of job adverts I mean they often say things like come and work for this dynamic market leading company (laughs) and you know you get there and it's like a one-man band in a basement (laughs) office or something you know they're trying to sell to you aren't they but um on Roy Greenslade's blog on Media Garden and Roy Greenslade is professor of journalism at City University. He uh, he is unearthed this ad, an American newspaper, the Illinois Valley News, and it was headlined "Long Hours, Low Pay." I'm going to read out the ad for you now. <laughs> How bad do you want to be a reporter? Bad enough to work nights and weekends? The poor glutton for punishment that's chosen will cover city and country government, sports, and general interest feature stories. In exchange for your long hours and tireless efforts, you will be rewarded with low pay and marginal (laughs) health insurance. Please send resume and three writing samples to the email address. Uh, This is a full-time salaried position in the beautiful Northwest. The salary is uh, $20,000, $25,000 a year. That's about £12,000, £15,000. And you've got plenty of time to think about it. It closes on the 5th of November. (laughs) And I really like the honesty in that, I think. I think, you know, budding journalists know that it's going to be hard. But if you're sort of 
seeing that I think am I up for the challenge it can be it can be a good way of discovering if it is for you yeah you could have some fun implying for that as well I think well it's funny you should say that because (laughs) I've also dug out a really honest job application Mm -hmm. that's been doing the doing rounds online and this is a Hunter S Thompson job application letter and he was the famous gonzo journalist and author of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and when he was a pudding journalist back in 1958, he wrote to the Vancouver Sun and he kind of uh, took a different take on job applications. And I think this is something a lot of people could work, learn from when they're <laughs> thinking of uh, getting their personality across in an application. Um, I'll just read a little excerpt, excerpt for you. Since I haven't seen a copy of the new Sun yet, I'll have to make this a tentative offer. I stepped into a dunk hole the last time I took a job with a paper and I didn't know anything about and I'm not quite ready to go charging up another blind alley. By the time you get this letter, I'll have gotten hold of some of the recent issues of The Sun. Unless it looks totally worthless, I'll let my offer stand. (coughs) Don't think that my arrogance is unintentional. It's just that I'd rather offend you now than after I started working for you. <laughs> and it, it goes on. I'll put a full link to the job ad. But And the, this featured on a blog on the Vancouver Sun website this week. And underneath they thought, you know, have you ever read anything that's so honest and, and, and his personality really comes mm-hmm. through? And he also sort of talks about why he wants to work for the Sun because he feels that they're taking a really mm. sort of progressive editorial direction. And I just think it's something that we should all employ a little bit in our device. maybe not you know it's a tentative offer but trying to get across our real intentions with mm. a role and I think particularly if you're applying for anything that has a kind of writing element to it if you look at the personality of the place you're applying to sure so I don't know if I don't I also have never read the Vancouver Sun but um whether <laughs> they run you know occasionally quite humorous pieces what their columnists say the style they allow in the paper you can have a little feel for who the editor is and what they might find amusing and what they might be interested in Mm. and if you can kind of replicate that in your application I think that makes it so much more interesting Mm. and as long as it's sort of well written I wouldn't go like over the top kooky I've sort of seen some faux kooky intros on CVs before and actually I'm not a massive fan Mm. of people saying you know I'm a really out there individual you know so why don't you really out there (laughs) (laughs) never I think you can add add flourishes to your CV So the bright lights of London can be hard for budding writers to resist. They certainly were for me. But before you leave your old life and job behind, you must have a plan, as Julian Lindley tells Mr Denham in this week's Dear Julian. So uh, my letter this week is from Mr Denham. And Mr Denham moved to London three weeks ago to change his life. Um... He'd worked as a journalist for seven years with huge experience in fashion and music, even having written his own column, but wanted to move to London to sort of further his career. Uh, However, he's not having an awful lot of luck because not only has uh, he not had any response from the magazines he's written to, but he's also tried to get uh, work in shops and hasn't had much luck there. Um, Asked a friend of his to write a CV for him because he thought that might be the problem, but no results and he's losing hope. He needs a job immediately and feels like the situation is making him depressed. So, uh, Mr. Denim, first of all, my advice to you would be have some patience. You've been in London for three weeks and that is, in the recession, a ridiculous um, ambition to have, to think that you're going to get a good job in that shorter period of time. When I first started my career, 
I, I was in London already, which was an advantage, but I had been working full-time and been squirrelling away money so that uh, I knew that, you know, at some point I was going to want to have to make a leap and do some unpaid work experience. And But what, another advantage, apart from having the cash, was that I had a network fully formed by the time I started. So I knew people in the industry. I had expressed an interest, you know, in working in, the, uh, in that field, and people knew me, and it, so it was easier to break into it. I just think it's incredibly hard to come cold into a situation, and especially in a recession. If you're as good a writer as you say you are, you definitely need to show how good you are um, in your letter. And, and don't go asking a friend to write your CV. Use your CV as your platform to demonstrate you know, your skill and your personality and your unique ability to say things in a completely different way. So my advice would be get back to where you came from save an awful lot of money so it's going to get you past for at least six months but in the meantime do not lose faith because you know what as long as you've got a passion and a drive something will work out eventually that was julian lindley creative director at bauer so i mentioned at the top of the show how some employers are struggling to fill their vacancies despite huge application numbers and talent pools to pick from We have every faith in your abilities, of course, but some research from SHL, and that's a talent assessment consultancy that carries out psychometric and personality tests for employers, has pinpointed some of the skills that lots of grads seem to be lacking and employers are longing for. It turns out, although most grads are pretty darn good at the organising and executing and analysing and interpreting side of jobs, they're not so hot on the interacting and presenting and supporting and cooperating parts. And these are all top of employers' lists of key skills. Here to talk more about developing new skills and giving your employability a boost is Ruth Wilcock, a careers consultant at the Centre for Careers and Skills Development, City University London, and also one of our site experts on the forum. So we want to talk to you about boosting your employability and skilling Mm. up. And I mean, why is it important to think about how employable you are? Is this something that perhaps we don't do enough? I think employability can be quite confusing to students and what that actually means. Um, And certainly, you know, to reflect on how employable you are uh, can be a little bit difficult initially when you start university because there are so many distractions. But yes, it is really important to think about how employable you are when you are, you know, striving to... um, you know, obtain a really good opportunity with um, all the employers out there and, and the competition that's associated with that. Okay, so you mentioned that lots of people don't understand employability. Could you maybe sort of give us an overview then of what you feel it means? Employability, well, it means different things. And I, I guess my understanding of it is about the skills we have, the achievements we have, um, we've obtained. Um, it's about the qualities we have that make us appealing to an employer Um, So employability is about the skills and I guess, you know, what gets thrown around a lot is this idea about transferable skills. You know, do we have these skills and on top of that, do we have uh, experience and the right amount of, um, well, the right qualities that an employer really values? Do you think um, 
graduates and sort of undergraduates are aware that they need to start thinking about that and developing themselves in that way now I mean you know because the job market's quite tough I wonder whether some people sort of don't think about it because they just think it's market conditions that are preventing them getting a job yeah yeah I think um more than ever uh, students are thinking about um you know developing themselves and and um, how they can go about that, you know, even just in the first few weeks of university here, um, I'm seeing a lot more first years coming to the career centre, and so they're definitely getting the message that it's really important that they start developing their skills to, you know, for them to be more appealing to employers. It's really interesting that you're seeing more first years. I mean, what can they do in that stage to sort of help themselves, boost their skills? Yeah, all sorts of things, really. I mean... um, most universities have sort of an induction week or a freshers week, as they call it. Mm. Um, and, you know, this is just a, an abundance of opportunities, really. There's student clubs and societies. There's ambassador opportunities where students can uh, develop their skills in presenting and leadership and mentoring. Um, so these sorts of things. There's also volunteering opportunities. And a lot of the sort of major employers as well do offer open days um, or sort of taster days uh, to their companies as well. So first-year students can certainly be accessing all these, and it's really important that they do. Okay, are there any sort of particular hard skills that lots of jobs tend to require, but there seems to be a lack of in sort of the candidate market? And, and how can we get those? Yeah, I, I have to say, when, I, when, um, when you ask that question, I, I guess the first thing I think of, um, it's really... I find just talking to recruiters out there that um, one thing they come back with me is about communication and just interpersonal skills and I would say that would be the first skill that any uh, employer would want from a student. So, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for students because it's, you know, it relies on confidence to be a good communicator and develop those skills. And so, I mean, all I can really advise is that students put themselves out there. They don't Um, shy away from opportunities so they can develop not only this confidence but ultimately the skills that the employer really values and communication and interpersonal skills are just so important. Um, Do you think there's any sort of scope for adapting our approach to job seeking? Should it be more about finding a job that suits our skills or more about developing new skills? Which do you think is the best approach? I think I'm leaning more towards developing the skills that suit a job, especially when I'm thinking about um, students in higher education because the former is about finding a job that suits our skills. Well, somebody might be really good at something, but they may not actually have the interest in doing it. Um, so, you know, I find a lot of students, you know, they've performed really well at maths and they've been encouraged to do finance and and become a maths teacher or something like that, just for an example, but they actually don't have any interest in that area. So I think it's really important to be targeted because, uh, you know, identifying what skills you have that fits with the industry that you're interested in. Yeah, yeah, so not just necessarily doing going for what you can do, but thinking yeah. about what you want. Yeah, that's interesting. What you're interested in, yeah. Um, I mean, we speak to lots of graduates, and when they think about skilling up or improving their employability, lots go for the master's degree option, yeah. don't they? I mean, do you think this is the best course of action? It's. Um, I'm, I'm kind of sitting on the fence with this one because, mm. yeah, I mean, the, the benefit of completing a master's degree in, in some industries, say the the psychology or the engineering student who wants to pursue um, a career and get obtain chartered status, 
um, you know, a master's is, is essential really. Um, you know, sometimes students, students just want to do a master's because they have a, a genuine interest in the subject area and it's perhaps not career focused at all. But if it is something that they think, well, I'm going to do a master's because I think I'd be more attracted to an employer, I think, great, do your research, talk to that employer if you can, make the most of the opportunities on campus to ask around um, and ask employers, would you value uh, my application if I had a master's degree on it? Um, but for students, I think, well, I'm just going to do a master's because I need to fill a year, um, I'm not securing opportunities. I'd always say, great, that's your decision, but while you are completing a master's, always obtain work experience alongside that as well. Okay, we asked you to come up with uh, five steps that you could take to improve yeah. your employability. Do you <laughs> want to talk us through them? Yeah, um, I think my first one was just to start early. And um, I'm really excited that a lot of first-year students are now coming into the career service. So do make the most of your career service. It has so many opportunities. Also, the second point would be take advantage of all the opportunities available to you at university. There's a lot of employers that come on campus at your university. Uh, use that as the preliminary stage of obtaining a, a potential job with them. You know, ask them questions about their company, show interest in what they do. I guess my third point is uh, just tying into that. Learn more about the industry that you're interested in getting into. Uh, you know, what opportunities are out there. There's not just one uh, route to, you know, you study law, you become a barrister or a solicitor. What other th opportunities are out there? You know, try to think creatively about it and do your research on the industry as a whole. And I'm always, a, um, I'm a bit of a fan too of actually thinking, well, if there is a job that you do want, ultimately, um, call, ring around, you know, if you're interested in becoming becoming an optometrist, I mean, call a few optometrists and ask them, you know, can I ask you a few questions about your job? How did you get started? You know, what experience is really important for me to have? What do you enjoy about your job? What don't you enjoy about your job? Okay. So what other tips did you have? Um, I think I'm up to my fourth tip. Yeah. And that is volunteer, get out there and work casually if you can. But just overall, just get involved, you know, get involved in things on campus, get involved in things off campus, engage with your community. You know, there's so much value in, in volunteering and getting experience. Okay, and your last one? So my final point um, was going to be, you know, just enjoy university and have fun. That is so important that students do come to university and do that but also students also have in the back of their mind that they need uh, support and they need this experience. So I guess the final point is ask for help um, with just the practicalities of the whole recruitment process because this is something that a career service can support you with. All right, thanks Ruth. I just wanted to say that I completely agree with your getting involved in the professional community point. Mm -hmm. I think sort of immersing yourself and becoming known in your sector and sort of affiliating yourself with the language and the people is, is a really good tip. Yeah. Thanks okay. very much. Not a problem. Speak to you again soon, hopefully. Okay, wonderful. Working for an aid agency seems like a really worthwhile thing to do, doesn't it? You're out there helping people and you're getting paid for it. But how do you get into it? I've been out and about this week annoying busy bystanders with my mic at Positive Change and that's a careers event for people looking to break into international development. There were lots of great speakers there such as an aid agency Care International. 
But I was more interested in the fact that despite being such a notoriously oversubscribed and difficult to break into sector, people are still so keen to pursue this profession. So tell me why you want to work in international development. You know, you know how competitive it is, you know that there's hardly any jobs, right? Yeah, I guess that's kind of true of a lot of industries right now though. And I, that's not really a reason to be put off. Everything in life is competitive, so you know, you have to, you know, if you keep running away from things because they're competitive, you'll never get anywhere. So, you know, you have to put your foot down and, you know, go for what you want. There are other jobs out there that offer a lot more money. Um, I have had one of those jobs, and although it's fantastic, I think a lot of people now, um, we have a very, very good standard of living in uh, the, uh, the UK. And the more and more the money goes up, it might be bigger salaries, but I think a lot of us are finding that we need more than just a salary. No, it doesn't put me off at all. I've worked in a very corporate setting for the last few years and I feel it's not something I enjoy and I'd like to do something to give back to the community. And it's a big interest of mine, so I just, you know, it doesn't, doesn't put me off at all. So how do you sort of feel about your chances, despite it being so oversubscribed? You know, why do you think that you can still make it? Your background, what do you think? It's a good question. I mean, you have to back yourself. I'm aware that there are other good people out there, but all I can do is what I do, and I do it well, so we'll see what happens. I think that's my problem. I'm here tonight to kind of figure out what I need to do to do that. I, I really don't know as of yet. This is my first dipping my toe in the pool, I guess, really. I think for me, it's about finding out if it's worth me investing kind of all that um, time into it, and kind of, am I going to get where I want to be at the end of the day? Because that would be kind of the most disappointing thing. Goodwill doesn't get you far in the development world. They want expertise. I mean, a lot of these companies that you speak to, they want technical expertise. They want, right, we want you to hit the ground running. You know, we need to run this program in Africa from tomorrow. We don't want you to come going, oh, you know, I really like international development. I really want to help. It's like they want something, they want to trade. It's something that I wanted to get into for years, but was always told, oh, you need to have degrees or you need to have done experience or, you know, lived you know, abroad or done all that kind of stuff. And so I thought it was an area which was going to be really competitive to get into and really hard. And um, I kind of shied away from it, thinking I didn't have the right qualifications. I applied for an internship at Two Way Development and um, managed to get an interview for it. And on the interview, they said, you know, we're really impressed with your CV, even though none of it was geared towards international development. VSO is something I've applied for. Um, I just spent the last um, eight months in France um, learning French to brush up on my language skills. I think these kind of seminars and you know going and talking to people and networking that that's important uh, because practically I don't know anybody in London and that's very very um, that's very hard because all my contacts are, which I've made over the past eight years, they're you know in Asia. You aren't the employer, and you don't you don't know that there's 400 CVs that are being checked through. So coming here kind of gives you that it's an eye opener. It's a reality check. So was that news to you then? How many applications that they get for those jobs? Was that the first time you heard about that? We always knew it was high, but maybe not 400. <laughs> that was me at the Positive Change Careers event. Jobs time now. Harriet and Ali are radio voice ready to reveal the jobs top 10. 
Crashing into the countdown at 10, it's a science festival coordinator in Cheltenham. In at 9, we've a weekend life skills worker for the New Horizons Youth Centre. And at 8, it's a head of digital scholarship for the British Library. The Tate is looking for a visitor experience manager at 7. While at 6, it's a fabulous interior design assistant via the Adrem Group. We're into the top 5 with an office manager for the London Cycling Campaign. And at 4, it's a SAS analytics manager for Circle Recruitment. MTV wants a digital producer at three and unbelievable but true head of fiction for the bbc is one from the top at two but this week's creme de la creme is a wikimedia manager with the national literacy trust right before we go here's what we've got coming up on the site next week okay on monday we have working in a top restaurant following day tuesday we have skilling up for international development on wednesday it's behind the scenes jobs in tv and on thursday it's is it a good time to ask for a pay rise as mentioned before all that's left to say is thanks very much to our guest ruth wilcock all the lovely people i talked to at positive change harriet minter and ali white careers talk was produced by james crawford i'm kerry eustace and until next week goodbye